This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here, go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, I'm flying solo. We had to give the beard a day off or a couple of days off. He went up to the mountains of North Carolina so he could be with all the Sasquatches that he resembles. And I don't even know if the guy is going to come back, but there's one thing I can guarantee you. Somewhere in the wilderness of Asheville, he solicited a Yeti for a BOR, and I don't know if he came out (laughs) on the other side okay. That being said, we have got an awesome guest today. I've gotten to know this guy a little bit over the course of about the last year, year and a half, because um, we connected shortly after Soup Live in Austin or um, Arlington last year. Do not get your Texas cities mixed up. Those people are very proud down there. So Mm -hmm. it was 100 percent in Arlington, not to be confused with the one city world tour, which was in Austin. I'm not telling you which one I like better. So we're we're just going to have to call it a draw. But anyhow, I've been watching Jeff as he has gone about his business for the last year. And I'm one of those people that's a stalker online. I'll I'll comment every now and again, but I think most would be their minds would be blown if they realized just how much I pay attention to that goes on on the um, Internet. And you know what? It's a um, it's a great thing for my ADHD because I'm constantly staying stimulated if I need a break from work or whatever else. But our guest today is Jeffrey Seidel from North Shore Insurance in the great state of Vermont. And we're just going to have a conversation about what he's done since he's come into uh, the independent realm and started his scratch agency. And he also is a very proud papa. And we're going to probably get into that a little bit because I certainly resemble that remark. And we're just going to find out what he's experienced in his first few, few years here as an independent and Try and help some of you that may be on the fence. Maybe you're a producer that's not getting what you need at the agency that you're at and you are entrepreneurial enough. You want to go out and do your own thing. This would be a great podcast for you to listen to because he's going to talk about his experience. I'm going to talk about mine. And one thing I can promise you is I know enough about Jeffrey to know that he and I, neither one are too proud to tell you the stupid stuff that we've done in an effort to keep (laughs) you from doing the same. So with all of that out of the way, Mr. Seidel, welcome to Power Producers. What's going on, brother? Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on the podcast. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we get too ramped up, let's talk a little bit about um, about your backstory. And I know that you've got some things um, in your backstory that could take a little bit of time for us to get through, but I'm giving you an open invitation to share as much or as little as you want. And then I'll go from there. Sure. Um, well, uh, for those that are watching on video, I am, uh, first of all, like completely covered in tattoos has a little bit uh, to do with my story and how I ended up with uh, CIA and PGI. Um, and I'll get into that later. But so I've spent, um, you know, 18 years old. I was, I was in, I skipped a grade in high school, went to uh, college for business. They started talking about macroeconomics and I said, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> uh, at the same time, I met a guy with a Volkswagen bus and a construction company and and he took me in and we i learned construction and i did that for years and years and he had would tell me these stories of traveling and doing construction and you know no matter where you go you always have a, a job and so i managed to, to move around the country a little bit i went out west for five years did construction and um i would started to travel the world and uh in the off seasons i would go to thailand egypt all through the Middle East, all through Asia, India, and then Central America as well. And um, I would get tattoos and travel and grew my hair out and uh, just sort of lived that life. And I had, um, you know, I I was doing that and I bought a house, I ended up buying a house in Pennsylvania around um, 23 years old. It was like a $59,000 shack in the woods that nobody lived in for 50 years. It had like a creek in the yard and its own little valley. And it was a long ride to get in there. And I thought it was great. And um, for about nine years, I didn't really quite live there right away. I just kind of got there and I started to remodel it and it took me about two years. So I was like, I'm committed to that. I live here now. And, uh, but I uh, started working on that and that was like my hobby and I would do construction jobs and stuff. And uh, around 27 or so, I had that all paid off and um, I really wanted to get out of construction and I opened a small restaurant with a friend and that went completely upside down within about eight months. And um, I was came back and I, I had no money and I said, oh, I'm going to build this porch roof. And I ended up really hurting my back. I spent about three and a half months curled up in a ball. Mm. One of my legs, shrunk up half the size of my other leg and my toes started to cross and you know i'm covered i've had these tattoos a long time like the whole time you know I, dude but, i'm like questioning what kind of like water were you swimming in in south america or something like <laughs> like did something you have a parasite enter your body or what that's crazy no i was building my house so i was i was using a tree to, to make the header on my front porch okay and um was it sap or something from the tree that you were allergic to that was causing you to no, no, no. I, I, I actually, I tore my back. Well, no, so, I know you tore your back, but for your leg to shrink like that and everything is oh, weird. That was nerve damage. It was okay. Very, got it. It was very bad. It was nerve damage. Yeah. Not that not... we're here to try and diagnose you in a rear. Yeah. Yeah. Now I've connected the dots. We're good. Right. So when my, and my toes started to cross, my foot started to curl up. I had a, I have a grandfather that had a stroke at like 29 or something. And you know, he's his, your hand shrinks up and curls in the same thing was starting to happen with my foot. Mm. And my hair was long. I couldn't get surgery. I, I was going in there. They they thought I was a drug seeker. They kept giving me 
pills and everything and sending me on my way. Um, and I did, I got on the Percocets and I did all that for a year and I got the surgery. Thank God my mom actually worked in the OR and talked to a doctor that, that said, I'll take a look at him. And they gave me emergency surgery and I was able to walk out of there and I wow. it took me a while to drive. I couldn't drive for about four months. And then I, I'm a, I was young. I was 28. I went back to construction. <laughs> so, and a couple, I ended up back in the hospital a year later and it's just like a cycle. Right. And, um, during that time I started to drink a lot and eventually I had my son. And when I had my son, I, I said enough's enough. Like I, I've got to figure something out. And so I ended up getting sober and I ended up by the, by the, by chance, I went into my uncle's office. My uncle owned a farmer's insurance agency and there was like walls that were missing. And I was like, what is going on here? And he said, somebody took the money and left the job. And while we were there, somebody came in and, and they, um, they said, uh, the person that was working there had to get their, their license to work there, right? They couldn't pass the test. And my uncle turns to me all like crazy looking and says, my nephew could pass the test. And a few months later, I said, hey, you had mentioned that. And if I if I pass that test, would you give me a job? And he said, yeah, I'd give you a job. And um, I actually never I went to work for him for about a week. So I learned how to do quotes and I, I couldn't get any of my friends a quote with that company. And a friend was like, hey, your license, go get a job. And I went to another place. I went in there. I got a job and I was on to something I I um. I ended up selling more insurance in time than, than every other employee that was in this. There was two other producers and then the owner that was also producing. And I was selling more than them. And that's when, like, when I went to that interview, I was, I was so nervous. I, I couldn't even, I was just honest with the guy. Like, look, I have no experience. I think I had like a yellow and purple polka dotted shirt on. Um, like, I, I didn't even have like nice clothes. I just put on something from the closet and he gave me a chance. And um, so I was like selling as much as you possibly could with that company. And within six months, we were the number one in new business in the Philadelphia area. I was in Pennsylvania at the time. Wow. And um, I kind of did the numbers and realized that if I like maxed out and, and kept this momentum up, which probably wouldn't happen, I'd probably make like about $60,000 in a year. And I was like, this, this, well, for me, that wasn't enough. That's not what I needed for my son and to kind of handle the goals that I wanted. So I, um, I started looking elsewhere and I hopped out of insurance and I got into a drug and alcohol facility as a, like a marketer and uh, did that for a little bit. And then I invested, I sold my home so I could move closer to my kid that was up here in Vermont. And that's when things was like, okay, COVID happened. What can I do? I need to do something. And I uh, uh, yeah, I mean, if you, if you want, I can go into details about how I started the, the agency. I was up here. I was trying to find a job. I got into car sales and that was horrible. Yeah. I'm kind of a spiritual person. And I felt like that was the most non-spiritual thing I've, I've ever done. It was very hard. And the person I worked for had good intentions, but he was trying to groom me and uh, to be like a amazing car salesman. And I just had no desire to do that. And, um, I got a call from somebody that wanted me to invest into this, like aggregate 
thing. And I didn't know that these existed. I didn't know that you could have like an aggregate. I only worked for a captive company. I didn't know that you could like have all, all the access to all the different carriers and like day one and start going, you know, like I just, I didn't know that was existing. This gentleman tried to do it. I, I made a call to the company, not the company I'm with and started the process. I realized that I was going to do it on my own if I was going to do it. And when I started to do that, I went through two and a half months with the recruiter and it got, I had a, a six hour like consultation or whatever with like a group of us. And then it got back to me that they weren't going to actually bring me on as an agent, regardless of if I could pay for it or regardless of anything because of my appearance. And I was, I was pretty heartbroken. So um, that's when I hit the internet, I found insurance soup and I put the question up there. And it's so funny because I see so many agents put the question up in soup and I'm sure you have like, Hey guys, I'm looking for an aggregate. Do you have any experience with X, Y, or Z? And everybody says, talk to Amanda, talk to Taylor, talk to Amanda, talk to Taylor. And uh, that's what I did. And that was two and a half years ago, exactly in January. Yeah. So two and a half years ago in January, and that is a long time when you're dealing with it every single day. It look, you look back now, it's like, wow, I can't believe that was only two and a half years ago because yeah. you get lost in your days working, man. I mean, I remember, I know what it's like in, you know, I used to be the guy that would, you know, because we started the agency in my dining room of my home. So I would literally work, get up, go eat, and then go back in after dinner, work some more, get up, go do something else. Because in those days, I was building my own website. I was you know, in WordPress. I was having to create all the content for that. I was having to put together all my own marketing materials and push that out you know, via email or whatever. Oh yeah. Had to figure out ways to get email addresses. I mean, mm -hmm. it's literally every single thing is sitting on your plate and you're there and you're just beating your head against the wall, you know, wondering when it will end. And then one day you wake up and it's like, holy crap, it was two and a half years ago. And I'm actually running something that's gaining traction. It mm -hmm. looks like I could do this and make a decent living out of it. Right. And I yeah. think that that I think that point of inflection hits at different times for different people and also depends a little bit on what motivates you, right? Because for me, yes, money is certainly nice to have because it pays the bills and buys the groceries and all of that. But at the same time, what point? what's the point in having a bunch of money that you can amass doing a really good job in this industry if that's all you have to show for it? You right. know, and, you know, I, I realized that, A, I'm not a financial planner. I don't claim to be. And there's a lot of financial planners out there that probably would tell you that I'm nuts. But I'm not really interested in leaving a bunch for my kids in terms of money or anything else. I mean, if we have the agency, you know, great. That'll certainly be something that there's a succession plan and perpetuation plan for you know, or if we sell it, certainly we would make enough money to be able to, and it's not that I'm going to leave them with nothing. Right. I mean, I hate right. to say that, but my goal is not, you know, let's just say I had $10 million. I, I doubt that'll ever happen, but let's just say I had $10 million to leave. I'm not leaving it to my kids to enjoy when I'm dead. 
I would rather take a subset of that money and live life right now and enjoy it and take them places that they may never go on their own or think to go or be able to do. Because for me, I would rather take that and make a really, really good, you know, lifestyle for my children so that they can travel and enjoy things and experience different things that maybe I didn't when I was a kid, although I can't complain about my childhood. My parents did everything they could to take us on vacations and do nice things. I'm just of the mindset that if we can't improve from one generation over the next, what's what's the point, man? I'm not interested in staying stagnant. I'm not trying to compete with the generation ahead of me. That's not really what I'm looking, how I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it as I'm evolving from the generation that was ahead of me. And there's a lot of things that are different today than what, what it was like back then. You know, my, my, um, my parents are both very opinionated people and and I grew up in an extremely conservative home and their parents were extremely opinionated people and they both grew up in conservative homes I'm an extremely opinionated person, but I probably have a little bit more middle of the road home for my kids to grow up in because of some of my life experience and the education that I received going for, you know, a, a degree from a liberal arts institution, which put me in a position to learn other points of view and yeah. understand things that I might not have taken the time to understand otherwise. And I think that the sum total of all of that stuff is what ultimately breeds success in your career. You know, I in listening to you talk, you just basically skimmed the surface right. of your real life experience, man. I'm I'm not foolish enough to know that you don't have a lot of stories about traveling all over the world. I think it's awesome that you did that. And I think that because you did that, that it makes you a lot more relatable to a lot more people. Not everybody is going to relate to everything, but you can talk to a lot of different people, a lot about a lot of different stuff. And when you're in the sales game, breaking the ice and having conversation is crucial to that. I actually get made fun of about it because I've, you know, I've lived so many places. We when I while I grew up, we moved every two to three years. I haven't really moved that much as an adult, but I've lived in a lot of cities and states where I experience different things, and that makes it easy for me to find common ground and talk to people about those things when we get into new business appointments. But, you know, I think it's, it's really cool. What I, what I like seeing right now is I like seeing the fact that you're working to build your agency, but you're also taking time to enjoy the fruits of your labor. Right. So let's yeah. see what, have, what, what has David noticed over the last six months to a year? Number one, you bought yourself a new truck and pimped it out. I think it looks, it, it's awesome, man. I mean, you have to have a Mac daddy truck to get down that long road to your house in the middle yeah. of the woods with the Creek. Right. But I mean, you've done that. And that is a visible sign that you're making forward progress with your agency and a reward to yourself that hopefully, you know, you set a goal that when you hit something, you hit a goal that you went out and did that. But yeah. more importantly than that to me is seeing that over the course of the last two or three weeks, it looked like you took a really cool trip with your son. I don't even know everywhere you went. Every time I turned around, you were doing something different. And it looked like you rented an RV and and sort of traveled from place to place. So talk about that a little bit, man. I mean, because in listening to you uh, sort of talk about your background and your backstory, there was a period of time when you weren't around him as much as you wanted to be. And you actually physically picked up your life and you moved to another state so that you could be closer to your son. And, you know, I can tell you, man, it is really, really 
it's really cool to see you investing that time in him. And look, I, I have a different perspective than some because I don't really talk about it a lot, but Grayson and Landon are from my marriage before I was married to Annie. A lot of people don't even know that I'm divorced, but I am. That's why I have such a spread of kids. You know, Grayson and Landon are, are 21 and 17, almost 21, but uh, 20 and 17, respectively. And then Ethan and Caroline are 12, are 12 and she'll be 10 this year. So there was a gap there. And during that gap, you know, I was split from my older two boys. Right. And so you go as, as a dad, if, if that's something that you as a father, anybody can, anybody can, can um, make a kid. You have to actually raise them when you make them, but anybody who's a real father doesn't do well in those environments. Right. You don't right. do well when you're away from your kids. I, I, no. I think that a lot of times people think that that's the female tendency that, you know, it's it's the way that mama reacts or whatever else. But the reality is, while it may not affect men exactly the same, it does affect them if they right. love their kids. And so, you know, part of the reason that I do what I do now and very openly travel with my kids to business related functions or or whatever else, specifically with my older two boys, is I got to make up for lost time, man. There was a period of time there where I wasn't as, as available for them as what I needed to be, not because I didn't want to, but because of the way geography worked and our divorce worked out. And as um, you know, I decided that I needed to do the same thing. I picked up and moved to be where my older two boys were um, going back, you know, 12, 13 years ago now, maybe a little bit longer than that. And I've taken advantage of that. So talk a little bit about what that's like, man, because, you know, that dude is going to, he is just going to continue to grow. It's not going right. to stop. And you need to take advantage of as much of it as you can now, you know, before it's too late, but just interested in your thoughts there. Sure. I mean, there's, there's a lot to talk on there. A lot. You asked me like 18 questions. Thanks, David. But, and I, and I can talk. So that's the one thing that we have in common. First of all, when I saw you traveling with your son, uh, when I first met you, I was just, I was like, that's exactly what I want to do. That is amazing. You set the bar on that, and I guarantee you that one day I'm going to have my son come into an insurance conference as well. Like I, I, I hopefully, um, yeah. And I know I don't drive up that long dirt driveway to the creek anymore, by the way. But there's the creek and a railroad on my driveway here in Vermont as well, um, and it's it's equally as long, but it goes to a little bit nicer of a home. And uh, thank God. Oh, so, so the place you live now is not the place that you had bought. No, I had to sell everything. Like I worked on that house for 10 years and then sold it. People thought I was absolutely crazy. <laughs> they, I mean, I had, it was very custom. There was a lot of stonework, nights and weekends. And I let everything go. I, I so I was, I had a YouTube channel um, down there and I, I kind of teach myself things, but I was doing art and I had this like workshop and I would sit in that workshop um, all the time. And I'm sitting in that workshop. And one day I finally, I got out of the workshop. I went over on the hill. I lived in a valley and I'm sitting up on the mountain looking down at my house, looking at the workshop and I'm going, you keep hiding in that little box. You're hiding in that little box. You keep trying to make stuff. And what you need to do is make yourself. You need to, you need to work on yourself, not stuff. Okay. I'm trying to hide all my childhood stuff, all that stuff in stuff and it wasn't working anymore didn't do anything for me i grew up in a um you know our first house was like 
like I grew up in the city of Reading, Pennsylvania, and then we lived in the country, small homes, uh, low income. My mother was a receptionist. My father was a steel worker, still is. And my stepfather was a tow motor driver, and he's retired for medical stuff right now, which he's fighting through. And uh, God willing, it's going to be okay. Um, so we grew up humble. I, my clothing came in bags. My shirts would hang off my shoulders. Dude, my mom made our clothes, okay? It it doesn't get any more humble than the first day of summer break every year. (laughs) We were standing in Joanne Fabrics picking out like the six (laughs) or seven, you know, pairs of shorts we wanted. And then we would go to, we didn't even have Walmart back then. We would go to Kmart to get whatever T-shirts we were going to trash all summer long wearing, um, you know, wearing them with the shorts that my mother made from, you know, it with her hands in her sewing room. Awesome. Your mom sounds like um, amazing. So yeah, I, and another thing I got to do this year was take my, I got to go with my mom, my stepdad, and and I took my nephew who lives with my parents to Disney World. And, you know, I I took a note from your book. I went down to Disney as I I never got to do that as a kid. And and I, I wanted that to be something with my son that I could say, like, he's not going to ever say, well, dad never took me to Disney. You know what I mean? So how did he uh, like it, it? Oh my gosh, they loved it. Everybody loved it. Um, it was a wonderful time. And uh, watching my son and, and my nephew, uh, my son's name Jericho, and my nephew is also Grayson, and uh, they just had like the best time ever. So it was 100% worth it. It was it was hard, it was hot, but you know you get acclimated to Vermont. You go down there, it's like, whew, I am dying. Um, <laughs> Bad man. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, you know, just to like part of like my whole in my 20 part of the reasons why like i got sober like i was when she left with the, the kid and he was six months old and ironically it's the same age i was when my parents split six months and it just it just messed with me right like i sat there and and i would i i, I drank a lot before like i partied i was good time charlie you know, I, but I never, yeah, there's never, a big difference though, between being good time, Charlie and drinking your sorrows away. Yeah. Next thing you know, I'm sitting there drinking alone. And, and part of the deal was I decided that I'm not going to have anything that can get in the way of me changing this generational stuff. Right. It's time to really, you know, put everything on the table. I, I got a man up and part of me as a person, if I'm not like living a real, like a good life, the way I define it, I start to fall altogether, right? And I've learned that about myself. So I've got to constantly be putting bricks in the wall, constantly be growing and, and moving up. And in sobriety, we do this thing where we take our inventory, we take a good objective look at ourselves. You know what I mean? How are we doing? How are we treating people? How are we helping out? How are we reaching out to other people and all that stuff? And I try to live my life like that. And if anybody walks in my office during the day or calls me during the day and they need to talk, I will stop working and talk to them. Cause it's not, it's not the money, whatever, everything can wait a little bit. So my, one of the greatest things about being in the insurance world. Now at first it seemed impossible, but even at first I had to leave every day at two o'clock uh, or sorry, every Wednesday at two, every other Friday at two to go pick my son up at school because I didn't want to be, I had a dad. I, I was the, I was the kid that wasn't uh, living with his father, you know, and my father is a musician and a steel worker and he never really had like his own place for me to live 
very important for me to have a place for my son to call home at my home. And it was also really important that I wasn't getting picked up. I wasn't going to be picking him up on Friday night, drop him off on Sunday night. And I did that for a little bit and was driving uh, back and forth to New Jersey, where I lived for about four months after I sold my home. I wanted to be, I pick him up at school. I drop him off at school. I meet the teachers. I know his friends, all that stuff. Like that's the kind of dad I wanted to be. So um, that's why I moved up here and I, I just started. I, I didn't know a single person up here. Um, I just came up and then I moved about 40 minutes away and I drive 45 minutes to school. I actually live about an hour away, but I drive 45 minutes to school to get my son. And Vermont's big, so an hour is not that far. I just, the, the opportunities in this town are a lot better than where my son's actually at. So I wanted to be here. And um, so, you know, now Wednesdays, Kids in Vermont get out of school at 11 o'clock to go snowboard or ski. Did you know that? <laughs> so No, but I did live in West Virginia, and we did get a holiday for the first day of deer season. So there's that. Yeah, same in Pennsylvania. So guess who is, they call it GIST, but guess who's the, the instructor for the snowboarding? Me. Right? a boy. Yeah, and I didn't know how to snowboard when I moved up here, but I was like, we're going to live in Vermont. We're going to do what Vermonters do. And... I taught myself how to snowboard and fell down a lot and got up. And um, so now I'm teaching my son how to snowboard. That's like probably my favorite thing that we do. Uh, he is like a little shredder. Everybody loves him up on the mountain and he just, he's so cool. And um, so I get to do that. I get to pick him up at school, drop him off, know his teachers. Um, I probably shouldn't even say this, but one of his teachers even friend requested me on Facebook so that she could follow us on our trip. And, uh, and that was cool. Like, it makes me feel so good to be part of his world, right? And that he doesn't have to explain everything to me. He doesn't really actually tell me much anyway. I have to interrogate him. He's a little Leo. He's just full on, <laughs> straight ahead. Let's go. Power up. And um, so, yeah, this summer, I, I get 10 days with my kid. The first one was Disney. The second one was we actually flew into Salt Lake City. We drove up to meet one of my friends that I actually met in Istanbul, Turkey when I was like 23 and we became friends and hung out all throughout the country together. And he was the last person I saw in California before I found out that I was going to be a father. So it was really cool to take my son now, uh, almost six years old to go meet Wade. And then we went up to Yellowstone and into Montana we did the hot springs and we came down to the Grand Tetons and rented a boat and rented ATVs. And then we went to more hot springs and then back to Salt Lake to see Wade play in a performance that uh, he's a musician. So we got to see him play before flying home. But yeah, absolutely amazing trip. Um, it was that, it, like the, I, I, when I was, when she was pregnant, I would visualize myself doing like, one-on-one -on -one trips with this kid and like to, to grow that bond you know I had four siblings and like just none of us had the same set of parents like everybody had there's some like if that makes sense but yeah four kids not the same set of parents bonding was interesting uh, we've all grown up to be very different um, so <laughs> I just for me it's 
it's what I'm doing right now. And um, it actually makes this insurance a lot easier because I'm, I feel like I have like a direction. I have a goal. Like this is, this is what I'm doing. It's funny that you said that, man, because I'm sitting here thinking to myself as I listen to you talk, I'm like, all right. So this guy basically had no rules in his life for the first half that he's lived so far. And now he's in an industry with a lot of rules. It's like, you know, so I guess in what I was thinking specifically, what I was thinking about is, you know, what's it like for you to, to go from kind of being able to travel, do whatever you want, you know, not in no disrespect whatsoever to being in construction, God knows I'm the first guy that needs to construct to be very, very respectful of people who know how to build and fix things. Cause that's not me uh, better now that YouTube exists, but still, you know, that mm-hmm. that's not my skill set. What was it like for you to, to have all of this freedom and, and sort of be fluid in everything you were doing? And now you're in an industry where it's kind of, eh, I got to be at work every day. I got to be available for my clients. I have to do this. I have to do that. And, and, you know, I'm reminded about the fact that you also are very open with your community on Facebook, at least that, Hey, I ain't going to be in the office right now. And here's what we're dealing with. Here's who you're going to talk to blah, 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 blah. So just talk a little bit about what that transition was like for you. Uh, Well, on a, on a macro level, (laughs) um, it was, it wasn't so bad, honestly, after the years I went through leading up to me deciding to get into insurance, because for all the fun, all the traveling, all that, there's also pain, there's confusion. Where's the money coming from? You know, how am I going to pull this off? You know, I used to ride my bike up this, up the road. Um, when I was first getting sober, I, I like really got into to bike riding and I'd ride up this two mile hill. And at the top of it, right before the state park was this home. And there was a home and a garage and my house was cool, unique. It was in the woods, but like there was a lot going on. I needed to to split wood for the wood stove. Like there was no regular heat. I just had a wood stove, all that stuff. And I would, I would, I would say, man, what's it take to have a house like that? Like just a regular house. And I started to (laughs) fantasize kind of being like just a regular person instead of this like facade that I made myself or, that like whatever like i i ended up who i was and it it was awesome and you know um but deep down inside i was like there's something else and uh there's this this old proverb or whatever but you you have to pull the arrow back in order for it to go forward and so i knew that i was entering that phase and so in that phase i i completely surrendered i go in i say this is what i'm doing we didn't really get into it but like i I linked up with another agent, Cody Nunston out of Utah. We both got started on our thing like the same week and we found each other in the soup. Him and I would talk all day, all night and talk about how we're going to grow our agencies. And I would, we would do the training with PGI and then all night I'd be building my website, implementing certain things, job forms, building everything out, seeing what works, uh, different AMSs, all that stuff, hours hundred hours, seven days a week. We did that for months. Anytime I didn't have my kid, I was sitting there. I almost got a hunchback from sitting at the desk so long. And, um, and I was completely okay with it because I had hope. And like, I knew that, that deep down inside, if I took the time now, I built a foundation, 
I could actually build a house on that foundation and it would be a lot easier down the line. People like you that are on social media, other agents that I got to know, all I have to do is see that. I see the other people that are doing it and I go, I can do that. Sean Walker, I'm sure you're friends with him. He, uh, he says in some, something online one day, the bar for agencies is set very low, right? And I was like, great. Thanks, Sean. That's all I need to hear. <laughs> and I just keep going. Well, I mean, I, I say it pretty much every time I speak in public because it's what got me into the industry. The guy who hired me, or I should say, well, he did hire me, but he also convinced me to make the jump basically mm-hmm. told me the insurance industry is full of C players. It's full of average people yeah. that do what they need to do to get by and make a good living doing it. They have yeah. a good work-life balance. But if you're somebody who views yourself as an A player and you can come in and execute, you will absolutely dominate in this industry. And you know, and- I wouldn't say that it's cockiness, but I would say it's confidence. I don't necessarily think anybody can beat me at anything if I'm fully devoted to it, have my mindset, I train for it, I learn everything I need to know about it, and I practice to get better tomorrow than I was today, right? I mean, absolutely. it's just it's just that simple. And you know, there are a lot of people in that that are average in this industry. And I don't, you know, I don't make that comment is a shot to them. There's absolutely nothing wrong with making a hundred or $150,000 a year, having yep. five to five or six weeks of vacation, never missing anything in, in your kids' lives and always being around that there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's not yeah. what got me into the industry in my early thirties though. What got right. me into the industry was if you can take what you're doing in retail, working 100 hours a week, no weekends off, no such thing as fourth quarter, and you can and you can taper back your level of intensity and how hard you work to where you fit in this industry, you're going to crush it. And that's exactly yeah. what happened, man. I had yeah. a really good first year. I was working 50 hours a week, which was twice as much as my competition, but half as much as I used to be able to. You yeah. know? And so you know, that's, that's my perspective on all of it. I think that, that people out there that aren't, that aren't getting it in insurance right now, you know, the only thing that's ever going to change that is you period. Yeah. Like the industry doesn't change that fast. Like I've not seen that much change in the last 20 years. Certainly technology has changed as yeah. technology at large has changed, but the general concept of insurance hasn't really changed at all. Forms and endorsements have a little bit because of assignments of benefits and, you know, roofs not being, you know, handled the right way by shady contractors and adjusters (laughs) and all of that. But by and large, the opportunity is no different. And if you can come in and figure out a way to harness that, you're going to crush it. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit on that. Um, You know, when I first started like like I had said earlier I was working at the local car dealership and I literally walked in they gave me the guy the guy says to me like I handed my resume he goes wow you've done a little bit of everything the exact words that came out of your mouth earlier I said yeah and that's a lot of different ways to relate to people right and he said when can you start and I started right now it's a small town in Vermont. It's a small. Well, wealth. the other thing is, though, that guy's a progressive thinker because the industry at large doesn't think like that. Right. And the reason why I say that, and I'm, I'm, I want you to keep your momentum, so I don't want to interrupt for too long. But I met with a recruiter one time, and when I took my personality profile, I think most people who know me 
personally or or professionally would probably think I would be a high D, 100% driver, all of that. I'm not. I'm a plus yeah. or minus one or two points in all four quadrants. I'm almost exactly the same across mm. the board. And when that information was given back to the agencies that were looking for producers to come in and, and, and produce for their firms, every single one of them said, nope, this guy's got to be high D. He doesn't have what it takes to be successful in commercial insurance with this personality yeah. profile. And after about the third time I heard that, I asked the recruiter, I said, what am I missing? Because if I'm looking to hire somebody for a job in sales, I would think having somebody well-balanced who could relate to almost anybody or adapt to any situation would be exactly who I would want to be out representing my brand on the yep. street. You know, I don't think that I would want somebody that was just a high driver because not everybody that you're going to meet with on a given, you know, week, month, year, whatever is going to mesh with somebody with that personality type. You have to be able right. to adapt. Right. Then, yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, to go, to go back, I, I'm working in this dealership, right? And I have to deal with every single small insurance agency in this town. Okay. There's four of them, five of them. Right. And I'm like, hi, my name is Jeffrey. I'm over here at this dealership. I'm with our mutual client. I need to get the, your doc, the documents over, you know, we need to switch this car out. The, the level of service, the energy that I received back on that phone is what really started to click with me that there is room here. This is where my room is in this town. You can't live in this town, Manchester, Vermont, and just be like an employee and then really afford to live here. It doesn't, it's a very expensive part of Vermont. Ski town, um, you know, it's beautiful. It's nice. It's, it's, it's amazing, but it's expensive and um, jobs don't pay that well. So, that's the whole thing. So I said to myself when I opened, I've where where can I be different than all the other people? And it's through service, right? And you know, how can I leave? It's it's so simple, right? I'm I'm the the bottom of the totem pole. I have a million I've won a 1.2 million dollar book, right? I'm I'm 2 years in. I'm not going up to huge commercial accounts like you, but I I have a cell phone with an app on it. And when that my office phone rings, so does my cell phone. And a lot of people leave that tool off the table. And I, I guess whatever, work-life balance and all that. And that's for them. That's their decision. But for me, I'm deciding every time when it's off hours, whether or not I'm going to pick up that phone. I work with a lot of carpenters and contractors. They are working during the day. They need to have that phone call after seven o'clock at night. And I'm okay with scheduling that and making time and, and having that phone call. You know, so, and when my client called me just Saturday, I was, um, I'm putting in a heat pump at my house with my friend. We're doing it on our own. I got a call, my phone. I got a guy who's a referral. A guy sends me people, right? He's a lawyer. I got a new car without question. I ran upstairs to my home office, put it about, got him his new paperwork. Right. And that's what I do for my clients. I, I, that's the one thing that, that gives me an edge over everybody. And, and also you mentioned technology. Uh, I think at least three of the agencies, three of the agencies in my town were um, handed down through generations. So I'm the first person in this town to open an independent insurance agency in like 40 years. Okay. 
So <laughs> like, tells me it's time for a new agency, man. That's I mean, what I'm saying, and <laughs> yeah, and I and I actually explained to some of the clients that the fact that I'm coming in now gives me an advantage because I'm coming in with the technology and all the new learnings. You know, the 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 things I learned from Taylor and Michael is like, and and you, it's it's priceless compared to antiquated agencies that are still struggling with with using a computer. You know, and maybe that's an extreme example, but there is, uh, you know, I'm not golfing all day. I do snowboard my golf, but um, I will pick up the phone. I use the VA. The VA helps me, you know, picks up the phone when I'm not there. We we talk openly. The, the VA and I are back and forth all day long, you know, and it's not like, um, and he's a, a friend, you know, we don't like, um, yes, I'm his boss, whatever, but like I, I try to communicate in that way. But that that level of service, I think, is the number one thing. Picking up the phone, being available, letting my clients know that I will be available in, when you have a claim, um, and that that's huge. That's my number one compliment too. That's the number one feedback that I get from clients. So um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's a bit about that. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think there's some other things you wanted me to talk about, but um, no. I mean, I, I think it's interesting though because. That's all really easy stuff. You know, you know that, right? But yet yeah. so many people don't do that. So right. many people, this is not an eight to five job where when you punt, especially if you're own the agency and it's a newer agency that you're trying to get off the ground, right. you don't clock out every day. You also don't clock in. You're just always there yeah. in some yeah. in, in some way. And I've never understood that, man, to be completely transparent. And I'm sure I'm going to piss some people off in our audience, but you know what? You guys will get over it because I give you enough good. You can deal with this. <laughs> at, the end, at the end of the day, though, like, why don't we give our clients our cell phone numbers? Like, in, in yeah. all reality, are you really worried that somebody's going to call you for something stupid at nine o'clock at night? Not more than once, because I'll also remind them that this is something that can be taken care of during normal business hours, I answered your call. I wanted to make sure it wasn't an emergency. We both know that it's after hours. I'll go ahead and, and I'll shoot a note over to make sure this is done for you first thing in the morning. And I'll follow up to make sure that it got done. I'm right. not going to get up out of bed these, these days anymore. Yeah. I'm not going to get up out of bed to go issue a certificate of insurance because somebody called me at nine o'clock at night. They're not going to get paid at nine o'clock at night. They're going to get paid when they take the certificate the next day. And that that's a reasonable response time for, for us to be able to do that. Now, I also have a self-service certificate portal. So most of my clients aren't even calling asking for that. So it's a really bad, you know, bad example. But I do think that there's a period, there's a point in time where you have to come to the realization, okay, this, I, I own this business now. I'm not the best person to do this anymore. I actually had an issue a couple of weeks ago with a guy who wanted me to do something for him that was very, very clearly defined as a role that you would have a CSR do. And I told him I would be, we, we would be better served if I had someone in my office handle this for you. No, I want you to do it. You're the one that, you know, that owns the agency. I understand, sir, but with all due respect, I hire people to do this because they are better and faster than what I am. If yeah. you want me to fumble through what it is you want me to do, by all means, if that's what you want, I will happily do it. But I want to set set the, the tone on the front end that it's going to take longer than you're going to be happy with. 
And I'm probably going to come back and ask a whole bunch of questions because it's not what I do every single day. Right. If you're, and you know what? He said, no, I want you to be the one to do it. And guess what happened? Two weeks later, he's like, I'm taking everything out of your, it was a piece of small business. Yeah. Take everything out of your agency. You didn't get back to, sir, I told you everything that was going to happen. I knew that on my schedule, I was going to be on the road nine out of 14 days and you got in the middle of it. I'm sorry. Yeah. I did exactly what happened is exactly what I told you would happen. And truthfully, I, I could even go another step further. It was a piece of business that another agent referred in and I did a favor for them on a piece of small commercial business. We never would write. Yeah. And the dude's been a pain in the butt since day one. And and so I'm to blame because I broke my own rules and I brought the account in. And then even though I told the guy, it's not going to be a great experience if you're going to count on me to do these things because it's not what I do. Some of, those, I, some of those clients kind of work themselves out though, don't they? They do. Yeah, they tend to work themselves out really quickly in my agency. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've learned that. Yeah, and and that's okay too. Like I'm, I'm, I'm also at the point now where I'm able to say no to certain people and not not quote every single thing that walks to the door. And I've yep. heard, I heard a lot of, uh, you know, people like yourself and and uh, Michael and and Taylor talk about that. I'm like, what's that like? What's it like to not? have to quote every single thing and you know and it just took a while and you know i want to go back to the you know i am at i was 31 uh, you know when i said okay i'm going to turn my life around i'm going to get a job that doesn't require me to hurt my back anymore and i'm the one that dropped out of college i'm the one and like i said i have to pull back that arrow i have to take my own inventory and like you said you reach a point where you hire someone but for now I'm I'm a two and a half year old agency. Like someone goes to college for four years, gonna be a doctor eight. You know what I mean? Like you have to take your inventory. Like you, oh, I opened and I spent the money and I opened up a business. That doesn't mean anything. You can pay to play, but it doesn't mean like you you you've gained all that respect right away. You don't have the million dollar book. You don't have the five million dollar book. Like when when you get to that point, hire the people, reel it back. First of all, you won't even be as bit worried about the new business as much you can slow it down and go, go after the stuff that you want more. But like, yeah, I have no problem right now kind of being available because that's what I'm doing. I'm growing and I'm getting to meet and talk to and develop that rapport with every single one of those clients that I do that. And they're the ones that help grow the agency. Right. I'm, I haven't just a, just another thing. I haven't bought a single lead since I opened up my agency. Good for you, man. Yeah, I've spent about maybe a thousand bucks on Facebook trying trying that out like once in a while and not very many desirable clients. Everything has been word of mouth. Um, and you had Uncle Ron on here recently, Ron Wiley. I went to some of his classes and I took notes and I implemented, just like he says, none of you are going to do all of this. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't do all of it because he's, he has so much information, but I did about 50 to 70% of it. Right. And doing that has helped my agency. Like whenever there's a lot of dug in people here in Vermont, people are not moving. They, their grandfather had this other agency, yada, yada, yada. Right. So they are starting to call me because things are crazy. Right. So I'm starting to get some phone calls, but 
when pe- we have a, a a large turnaround for secondary homes with a short term endorsement uh, up here because of the ski the skiing mountains, like every single one of those people calls me. I get a, I get an app at one of those two times a week, you know, and uh, the loan officers love me in town. Like I I've joined the um the uh the real estate agents uh, local board as an affiliate and I go to those and uh, I'm in the chamber of commerce too, but I, I really love those real estate agents. They are absolutely fun and they, they throw a nice party and I, I go, you know, a couple times a year. I've actually made good friends. They send me referrals, um, but it's, it's really nice. Like I, I just have to trust, relax, come to work, handle what I have to work to handle and like little by slow, my phone rings my email goes off boom and i'm doing a quote next thing you know i'm switching gears i'm getting excited next thing you know i'm binding a quote and i'm putting it up on my board and i'm i'm super pumped you know yeah, dude i never i never get sick of getting that email telling me we have a new <laughs> quote request or we have a new this or a new yeah. that so listen we've been going about an hour and i need to wrap up because i've got to jump into another podcast right after this one but i i would be remiss if i didn't give you an opportunity to talk just a little bit about what you would say to encourage anybody out there listening that's thinking about going to soup live in Arlington this year. I know that last year was the first event. I know that, um, you know, there's a lot of you that have been far more involved and ingrained in that group than what I have been. Although I am a silent stalker, I read everything that goes on in there. I just don't, you know, I comment when I can bring, you know, when I can bring some level of value to the comments, you know, I'm not going to go in and talk about a market for somebody's Tesla they're renting on Turo. I have no clue, right? That's not what I do. But um, talk, talk just for a couple of minutes about what it was like for you to be able to go to Soup Live and kind of humanize what had been a virtual environment for you for the first little bit about you having your agency. Yeah, sure. So when when I met you, you were like, I'm looking for people to be on the podcast and I was with my friend Kalia who was just did a, an actual thing with you, but she had her on for like a segment, a small section. And um, mostly because I knew at the time that she was a badass young agent that she had a lot more to say than I did. So I was like, get Kalia. She's amazing. So Kalia and Cody were virtual friends until I went there. I have Cody didn't make it, but we're going to be there at, uh, live this year and we're going to hang out for the first time in person, but him and I have spent like days of time on Facebook messenger, just like my agency. Cause I, I didn't have that much experience coming into this. So I found people like Kalia and Cody were like the same age, you know, same kind of situations that, that, that peer to peer mentorship has been invaluable, priceless. Like I should send them both Christmas presents. Uh, Kalia has sent my, my son, her, her son's old clothing and gifts and stuff. She's so cool like that. And Southern people really, they lay, they lay the sugar on. I hope thick. to God that you craft Jericho, the world's greatest mullet when he wears <laughs> any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Get him so, either, get him a wig or let him let's let it fly. But yeah, there's something about, cause that's where people are. That's where people are going to be. And there's something about, like you go there, you shake their hand, you have dinner, whatever. And, and trust me, if you're going alone, just show up. It's fine. Everybody there has a common thing. You know, we all share 
this common thing that we're 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 building these agencies and growing together. And of course, there's people that are established that are so willing to share everything they have. They'll sit down and talk to you. Hey, don't fool yourself, man. We're there listening because you guys are yeah. doing things we didn't even know could be done. So, you know, yeah. I think that's something that's really important for people to understand for some of the people that are more established out there that think, you know, it all, you'd be better served to go to something like this and just be quiet and listen. Cause you pick up on a lot of stuff that people yeah. who are attending that conference that just go about the business in a completely different way than what you do. So listen, man, we are like literally in an hour, we're going to wrap up because I got to bounce and get over to the next one. I just got the email that the next guy has joined his link. Thanks for taking time out of your day, man. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, certainly won't be the last time that we have you on because I'm going to keep watching and checking in to see how growth is coming and everything, but just really appreciate yeah. you taking your time and sharing your story with everybody today. How, how do they reach out to you if they want to get a hold of you? Jeffrey at Northshire Insurance. There you go. Jeffrey yeah. at Northshireinsurance.com. He has been oh. Jeffrey Seidel from the great state of Vermont. Pleasure <laughs> having you, brother, and we'll talk soon. Take care. See you soon. Ciao. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. <laughs>